good morning, church. So this week I have the chance to kind of exercise what I enjoy, which is teaching. And it can often feel difficult at times to move from giving a message that, that ties personally to someone. You've seen me cry so many times when I give sermons. And there's another side to our faith that I, I believe is, is very real too. And that is really exploring the scripture. And there might be sometimes less emotion involved and more thinking and more of the mind. And that's the case I feel this Sunday. This Sunday, uh, Nels actually told me to deal with um, 1 Corinthians 11 and 14 and how it talks about women in the church. And looking at commentaries, they'll actually tell you that the passage in 1 Corinthians 11 about women, it is considered by some to be one of the most difficult passages in the Bible. So thank you, Nels. Here I am trying to tackle this passage, but I love it. This is this is my passion. This is it's my passion to take things that we might be confused about and really try to break it down to a teaching um, that everybody can understand. Women in the church has actually been something that's been a very divisive issue for so many. And really, I believe that trying to understand this, we can bring unity around the subject. We can we can reach our brothers and sisters in Christ and we can have empathy with them no matter what side they fall on and no matter what side we fall on. I also approach this as one who initially was raised in a church in the early years of my belief in my 30s to think that women weren't supposed to be in higher levels of ministry in the church. And so I approach this from having had that perspective and then hitting a perspective of, well, I'm not sure. And I've come now to the beliefs that I'll be sharing with you today. Before I get into the message, I want to let you know that on Right Now Media, it's the subscription that the church pays for. Uh, Nels has actually given uh, two sides to the conversation, and they're both excellent, and they go much more in depth in this than I could go just on a Sunday morning here. But my goal again is to give you an overview. I hope that perhaps you might take some notes, you might look at some things in your Bible, because I do believe that the Christian faith is grounded in grace and love and, and e intense emotions, but there's also a side of truth to it. And who knows when issues of truth that we learn are going to become useful later in life. Someone is struggling with an issue like this. And, and so many people, I've t spoken to, to handfuls of people in my own life, and I know there's so many more people out there that I see on Facebook groups and everything who they struggle with Christianity because they do say, well, Christianity treats women like this or Christianity sees this. And so if you can have these pieces of truth that you can share with people, it can open their eyes to the truth of Christianity, I believe. With that in mind, I do want to dig into the place of women in church. Give me just a second. I'm going to change my camera here a little bit. There we go. I love to gesture and I feel like it, it connects me to the message. So I wanted to move my camera down a little bit. Now, before we go into women in church, I do want to consider the church setup. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, it talks about roles in the church. And this is usually what we know as the fivefold ministry. You have apostles, you have prophets, you have evangelists, you have pastors, and you have teachers. And these five roles, it doesn't mean that these people are always operating in these roles. But these can be giftings that are given to people to help the church function. Nels and I just did a video on uh, Friday. It was supposed to be released Thursday, but it was released Friday. 
And we really try to approach the scripture from him being of a pastor's gifting and, and me feeling like I'm from a teacher's gifting. I get in the details. Nels takes details and he knows how to apply them to people's lives. And these giftings really help the church immensely because they balance each other out. And so in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, it shows the roles in the church. Now there's also a hierarchy in the church. And this hierarchy, depending on how you split it up, is elders and bishops and deacons. And this kind of talks about how the church is supposed to be structured. And as you look at women in the church, as Paul talks about them, we're really trying to figure out, well, what, what place did Paul say that women have? Is he talking about women's place in roles, which is the five-fold ministry, the apostles, the evangelists, and those? Is he speaking about women in the hierarchy of the church? the elders, the bishops, the deacons. So with that picture of how the church is structured in mind, I want to first dive into our, our first passage. The first passage is 1 Corinthians 11, and it's 1 through 16. I want to read to you a little bit extra of the passage. It actually goes back to verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 32. And so I have it on my screen here. I'm going to read it for us really quick. Do not give offense to Jews or Greeks, or to the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in all things. I do not seek my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. I praise you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Any man who prays or prophesies with his head covered disgraces his head. But any woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovers disgraces her head. For it is one and the same thing as having a shaved head. For if a woman will not cover her head, she should cut off her hair. But it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved. She should cover her head. For a man should not have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for man. For this reason, a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. In any case, in the Lord, in any case, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor is man independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman. But all things come from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Wow. Every time I read this passage, I, there's a lot. There's a lot to digest, and I'm not going to try to tackle it all in in today's sermon. Um, there's specifically an issue I want to talk about, and that is how women are operating in the church. So I don't necessarily want to go into all of this. However, one of the things that I do want to talk about today is when we backed up from 1 Corinthians 11, and we went actually back into the 1 Corinthians 10. Paul is approaching this matter with cultural sensitivity. This is one of the things that we see that Paul does. In Acts 15, 19 through 21, they talk about, well, let's make this decision because people have heard Moses 
for so long. They make a decision to teach some things that may not necessarily be required of Christianity, some of their decision. Not because they're requirements of faith, but because they don't want to offend people. They want to be culturally sensitive to people. And so Paul is part of this decision by the Jerusalem Council to say, look, some people have sensitivities because they've heard Moses for so long. So let's be culturally aware of their sensitivities. So on for, in 1 Corinthians 10, as he finishes up, he's saying he places the gospel ahead of his personal freedom and rights. He doesn't want to offend people. And so on the heels of saying we need to place the gospel ahead of our own rights, he then talks about how women should act. And I believe that this actually shows that women, especially in Corinth, and then we'll also find out in Ephesians, they felt very free. And in the gospel, we know that there is no more Greek or there, there's no more Gentile or Jew. There's no more man or woman. There's a lot of freedom from oppressive roles. But Paul's message is for the sake of the gospel, let's act a certain way that doesn't offend people. Let's rein in our rights and our personal freedom. And so possibly there were these women that they were, they were flaunting the freedom in Christ. And in doing so, it was causing issues for society to grab the gospel. Even missionaries today, Christian missionaries will go overseas to various cultures. Um, women will go to Muslim cultures and they will dress in the Muslim style, even though in Christianity they don't, they don't need to. They have the freedom to. But they are sensitive to the culture. That way they don't present a, a hindrance to the message that they have to bring. So I personally believe that this is some of what Paul is dealing with. There is something interesting as he goes on, though. If you go through and you hit um, chapter 12, verse 1, Paul does say, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters. He uses a Greek word that actually translates for men and women. So even though he just spoke to how women should act in the church, which I believe is to die to society, he is now speaking of spiritual gifts in a unisex fashion. He's saying men and women, here, let, let's talk about the spiritual gifts. He goes on in, in chapter, 12, chapter 12, verse 12, to say the body has many members. So he's referring to the body of the church as inclusive to this brothers and sisters. So he's not excluding women. In chapter 12, verse 27, you're going to see that he says, now you. And this you, in context, follows on the heels of saying brothers and sisters, of speaking of the entire body. And so he's speaking of these many members who are both brothers and sisters. So, so far in 1 Corinthians 11, I don't believe Paul is limiting women's role because he goes on to speak of their role in the fivefold ministry. This is how I would read this. There's some complexities in here that if you go to what Nels has posted about the roles of men and women in the church, they can give both sides to this. But this is how I've come to see it. On the heels of Paul saying, let's rein in our freedoms, something that maybe we as Americans really struggle with. Paul's saying, reign in our freedom so that the gospel can be heard and you don't cause offense to anyone. So women, let's, let's reign in our, our freedoms here in Corinth and let's dress a certain way. Even though you may have the freedom in Christ to do it, let's dress a certain way, specifically for Corinth, because there's issues here in this city. 
So on the heels of that, let's move forward in 1 Corinthians, and let's see where Paul goes next with women. The next passage is 1 Corinthians 14, verses 35, or 34 and 35. I'm going to read again a little bit more of the context so we can tackle it. Starting in verse 31, Paul says, For you all prophesy. Now remember, all here in context is men and women. So he is expecting that women are going to prophesy. For you all prophesy one after another, so all can learn and be encouraged. Indeed, the spirits, the, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not characterized by disorder, but by peace. And in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak. Rather, let them be in submission, as in fact the law says. If they want to find out about something, they should ask their husbands at home, because it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. This is where we hit this dilemma that so many commentaries struggle with. Paul just spoke in universal terms of women prophesying, women being in the fivefold ministry, and now he's saying women need to be silent. Something that we need to realize here is that Paul speaks in context of where he is and in his thinking in the letter. So can a woman prophesy? Well, he just said they need to be silent. So how does this work? I actually know of churches that do require women to cover their head like the passage we just saw. And some women, there, there's churches that go so far as to say that women need to speak to their husbands behind. They'll, they'll have a little pillow or something and if the woman wants to say something to her husband while they're in church, she has to pick this up and she has to speak behind it. And there's no offense to that, but I don't see that here in Paul. So what I see here in Paul is that he's speaking on the heels of saying brothers and sisters. So he said, he said earlier back in chapter 12, brothers and sisters, let me talk to you about these, about the spiritual gifts, the fivefold ministry. Then as we go into chapter 14, in verse 26, he says the word each. So he's including everyone. He says each of you. So that's men and women. In verse 27, he refers to anyone. So he's still speaking of men and women. And in verse 31, he uses the word all to refer to the people he's talking about. Well, all in the church would speak to men and women. So he's using this universal language, this unisex language, and he's not excluding women. And it's after this unisex language that we get to this issue of women being silent. So when we get here, we got to figure out what to do. Something that I do want to point out is that if you go to verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, each of you can be given many things. And one of those things in verse 26 is a teaching. And he says, if anyone has a teaching for the church, offer it up. So here in verse 26, he doesn't exclude women from giving a teaching. So again, we struggle with Paul referring that women can prophesy. They can even give a teaching if they have a teaching. But yet here we run into, they need to be silent in the churches. Here's the solution that I believe. In verse 35, he says, if there's anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands later. Culturally in Paul's day, women had been excluded from Judaism. 
at least from learning deep things about Judaism. In fact, rabbis back in the day of Judaism, it was a patriarchal, patriarchal society that was very male-dominated. And rabbis even questioned if women could understand deep spiritual matters. Now, if you need, if you do look back at the life of Christ, you will see that Christ begins to reverse this patriarchy. Christ begins to reverse this and he brings women into his ministry. And so he starts to bring women back into a place in ministry. But the problem is that Paul is dealing with, he has a bunch of women coming into the church who were excluded previously. They now have freedom in Christ, but they don't have knowledge all the time. And so he's telling women, if there's something that you want to know, ask your husbands later. In the context of actually chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, he speaks of three groups of people who need to be silent. One of those is people who have tongues that don't have interpretations. I think Nell's going to talk about that next Sunday or one of these coming Sundays. He also speaks about prophets who have given a prophecy and they now need to sit down and let someone else give a prophecy if they have a prophecy. So he's saying if you have tongues with no translation, be quiet. He's saying if you have a if you've given your prophecy and now it's someone else's turn, be quiet. And then he also comes to women and he says, if you have something you need to learn, ask it of your husbands later. Don't interrupt the service to ask a question. So I believe that he was facing this issue of women who had not had the chance to learn as much as their husbands had because they've been excluded. And so contextually, he is saying, women, don't interrupt the service. I understand you want to learn. Ask your husbands later. This is, a, this is a concern for his time and era. As we look at the seminaries that we have today, the Bible colleges that women can go and attend just alongside the men, and women can go to get advanced degrees more than most men if, if the women choose. We don't have this issue today. So I do believe that this is an issue contextual to Paul and his time. However, we can take spiritual lessons from this one of those spiritual lessons, for example, is Paul has a concern with an orderly church service. He doesn't want people to be disruptive. In his time, it was possibly women who were asking questions. It was also people that had tongues and it was people that prophesied. He was concerned about these groups of people that were being disruptive. So if we do want to take a universal sign from this, a universal lesson, it's that God wants his church service to be orderly. Now we would have to figure out today, what are the groups of people that could be causing disorder? From the time that I enjoyed with uh, Transforming Life before COVID hit, I didn't see much disorder. So Paul's writing this to a specific church that's dealing with disorder. I couldn't see Paul writing this to Transforming Life when I was attending and we, this wasn't an issue for us. But if it was an issue, we have now a universal lesson to apply. Let the service be a service of order. Don't interrupt. Now, I'd like to go to a little bit greater context of this. And when we go to this, it's actually going to take us out of 1 Corinthians. I, I am scrolling through my notes here, and I want to go now to 1 Timothy. Because when you study something in the Bible, it's really important to follow the theme all the way through. And there's one more place where Paul talks about women in the church specifically. And to test your idea. So I, so far I have this idea that Paul's not limiting either of the sexes 
in what they're in their teaching offering. If any of you have a teaching, then teach it. He's not limiting women except for if they have questions. What we can do is go to one more place in Paul where he talks about this, and we can test this against other scripture to see if this holds true. This is one of the great ways to study your Bible. Follow it out with the theme and see if you, what you've come to understand carries through the Bible. So in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, Paul makes one more declaration. I'm going to read to you one more thing. This is 1 Timothy starting, um, so, sorry, starting in chapter 2, verse 12. I'm going to start in verse 9. Paul says, Likewise, the women are to dress in suitable apparel, with modesty and self-control. Their adornment must not be with braided hair and gold or pearls or expensive clothing, but instead they should be adorned with good deeds, as is proper for women who profess reverence for God. A woman must learn quietly with all submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. She must remain quiet. So again, first of all, starting back in verse 9, Paul's saying some of the things that he said to Corinth as well, which is this is how you should dress women. This is what you should look like. Specifically in 1 Timothy here, he's writing about the church in Ephesus. Now the church in Ephesus worshiped the goddess Diana. And the goddess Diana was a, a goddess of female empowerment. Living in an oppressive society, I can totally understand how a woman would grab onto a goddess that could empower her when she's so belittled by that society. But the problem is that we actually know that in Ephesus, this created the same sin of, of oppressive patriarchy, but in the opposite direction. In Ephesus, the women, they were rich. They flaunted this. They flaunted their position in Ephesus. And so they actually created the same sin of oppressive patriarchy, but in the opposite direction towards women. And so this is likely why Paul is saying, don't dress up in your golden pearls. Don't flaunt this because you're going to a church service where there's, there's slaves. Some of the earliest Christians were slaves. They were so poor. And so here you are going to a church service with all your, all your riches showing and you're sitting next to a slave. How does that make them feel? Again, it's not that wearing these things is wrong in and of itself. But Paul thought so deeply that we shouldn't do anything with our lives that would hinder the gospel. And how could a slave relate to a rich woman in her gold, in her pearls? How could that slave relate to her? It could be very difficult. And so Paul says, for the sake of the gospel, let's rein in our freedoms in these moments where it might hurt the, God, the message of the gospel. So Paul is, uh, is giving some direction to the women in this place where militant militant feminism reigns so much so that it is it has become sinful in the same sense that mil militant patriarchy can become sinful and he's telling women let's, let's back this off a little bit now in the vein of that we get to the point where this is again where churches have such a hard time and it, he says women need to be silent what are we to do with this again well the context fits exactly with the Corinth limitations. His own words say, let me go back to verse 11 here. A woman must learn quietly with all submissiveness. He's dealing with women who have something to learn. 
And so he's saying, let's be quiet if you have something to learn. He's again dealing with women who were not educated in Judaism, which is the foundation of Christianity. So when they're attending church, they're going to have questions. Paul doesn't say, we should note this, the church shouldn't permit a woman to speak. Us apostles do not permit a woman to speak. He doesn't tell Timothy in the letter to Timothy, you shouldn't permit a woman to speak. But instead, one of the things that Paul does say here is, I do not permit a woman to speak. We should consider, I believe, that Paul does give his own advice at times, but he entrusts the running of the church to other people. And so we can see that Paul's writing to Timothy advice for how to handle a church, a church where apparently women are flaunting their gold, their pearls, they're, they're flaunting their position in society next to someone who is the lowest of society. And so Paul's telling Timothy, this is how I approach the issue right now. This is how I handle it right now with these women who, who they were held down by society and have so many questions. I don't permit them to be leaders right now. I don't permit them to ask questions in church right now. Let them ask their husbands later during this time that women are not as knowledgeable about our faith. Paul isn't saying that you should handle it this way, though, Timothy. Instead, Paul's saying this is how I do it. And he's leaving it to Timothy to weigh Paul's advice. And Timothy, who is on the scene in Ephesus, I believe Paul is leaving the door open for Timothy to then weigh the advice and determine with Timothy, the way that in the military would say it is boots on the ground. Timothy is right there on the ground in the middle of the situation. And so Paul is giving him advice, but Timothy is right there. And Paul is entrusting Timothy to take Paul saying, well, this is how I do it. And Timothy can then weigh that to decide a course of action. Especially, I don't think women should stay silent when we go back to 1 Corinthians and we see that Paul spoke in universal language of women prophesying, of women have teaching. So following this theme through from 1 Corinthians to 1 Timothy, I believe we can see that the conclusions we arrive to in 1 Corinthians, that a woman can speak in church, can prophesy, the only limit to being silent was when she would be disruptive in the church service by asking questions. It carries through to 1 Timothy, where again, a woman being silent in the church is tied to her having something that she needs to learn. I feel for the women back then, I really do. They were held out of Judaism and the foundation of the Christian faith, and so they came with lots of questions. Paul's coming up with a solution for his time. And I don't believe in our society today we have this as much. Now, we do have a problem, though, in that I was saved at age 31. I came into the church with little knowledge. And so Paul's lesson of don't disrupt the service with your questions could just as easily apply to me. I could sit there in the church at age 31, having been saved, and while the pastor's speaking, I could be tapping the person on the shoulder next to me as they're trying to listen, and I could say, hey, what? I, I don't understand where he's going with this. What, what's he saying? I'm disrupting the service for that person. I'm disrupting the service for those around me by the questions I have because I was not as knowledgeable. I was in the exact same place as these women. The lesson of Paul is for me to sit and be silently as well. And then after the service, I can find someone and say, I, I need to understand this better because this was a question that I had. 
So Paul's lesson applies universally. It applied to me at age 31. In Paul's context, it applied to the women who had much to learn because of how their culture had held them down. One of the biggest things for me in this comes from the actions of Christ. I'd like to take us to one more passage. This is going to be in Matthew, and it is Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read this for us. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. How would you like to be known as the other Mary? How brutal is that? <laughs> Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. They fainted. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. I'll just stop there because this, this is the point that I want to make. Is that this resurrection of Christ is one of the pinnacle moments of our Christian faith. Without the resurrection of Christ... Our faith is, is dead. The Bible tells us this. Without the resurrection, there is no meaning to our faith. Who was the first person that this message was entrusted to to go tell it to male disciples? It was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. These women were entrusted with the pinnacle moment of our faith to go share it with men. So I believe that this is... This is uh, evidence from Christ himself when he had his messenger the angel entrust his message to women to go share it with men these women knew something that not even the men knew yet they learned first that Christ had risen from the dead I hope that this journey has kind of shown you a little bit about how I approach the scripture not only do I look at first Corinthians but once I come to a conclusion, I find the other passages like the one in 1 Timothy and I test my conclusion as I follow the whole theme of women through. And then I also went back to Matthew to see how women were treated in the ministry of Christ. If you ever get the chance, there's some great books on how Christ actually brought women into his ministry and the place he gave them. And one of the places he gave them was as the carriers of the gospel message that Christ has risen from the dead. There's, there's so much to this, and, and I love journeying through this, and I hope that some of the things that I gave you, if you remember them later on, you can help someone else who has questions about this. This is my passion, and, and this is my goal, is to teach and, and open up these, these issues that the church deals with. What I'm going to do as I wrap this up and turn this back over for some more worship, I am going to post these notes. I'll make sure they're posted by tomorrow. I'll post my own notes in case you're interested in them. You can go through them and you can use them in the future in your life. I really want to equip the body of Christ to not only move in grace and love, but also in truth. 
And I think that as we look at this and we weigh this, we can find the truth in the matter. So I've come to the belief, having been on one side of the issue previously, that women can't be, even the church has a part of, they can't be apostles or they can't be elders in the church. I have moved in my belief and I believe that women can be of the fivefold ministry. Women can hold any place in the church. Women were first entrusted with the gospel and the only limit upon the women of Paul's time and the limit upon any time today is those who would disrupt the church, even if they mean well, because they have questions they wanna learn. There's a time and a place to learn.